Hey, hello, welcome everybody. This is another episode of Curiously Polar, where we talk about all things very far north and very far south. And my name is Chris Marquardt, and with me as usual is Mario. Hi there. Hi, Chris. How are you doing yeah. today? Yeah, I'm doing fine. It's uh, slightly snowing here in, uh, in Reykjavik. You're in Iceland. Yes, uh, yeah, I'm still in Iceland here. Yeah, so. <laughs> slightly snowing? I've seen... Okay, yeah, I've- yeah, well, it's, uh, it's a different... Uh, well, it's, it's strange. I mean, Iceland is uh, a place where the temperatures, at least in Reykjavik, go uh, above zero, below zero, above zero, below zero, all year round. All, uh, all year round. <laughs> there was a Freudian slip. At least um, in winter. Mostly, mostly <laughs> in the winter. And uh, this means that um, you're permanently in a condition of uh, either snow or rain or sleet in between. And um, it's alternating. And it's uh, there are some interesting interesting phenomena that happen here with uh, with uh, like for example when you're driving a car and uh, and you have to cope with this all these different different ways of uh, of <laughs> coping with the weather. Uh, but so. just a while ago, I've seen photos that you posted on on your social media where you mm. um, showed us like really big whiteouts and uh, snowstorms to the to the effect that you couldn't even get out of the house yes yes i mean it's um living in 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 cold polar areas and uh it's uh, it can be a challenge sometimes and you have to get used to uh to the fact that uh, things do not happen on a, on a schedule and <laughs> even if you plan something you have to change your plans and all the time uh, because of the weather and yeah. because of the conditions it's not because of human factors but uh, because of uh, external factors that are independent of anybody's volition not under your control and that's pretty much the topic that we want to talk about today living in, in the cold which um, which yes. which i think would be the first thing most people would uh would have in mind when you talk to them about the arctic yes yes there are there are a few things especially when i when i talk about um, about living in the above the arctic circle well right now of course i'm south of the arctic circle but uh, when i'm in in tromso or uh, or i'm traveling far north or even far south of course it's uh, it's uh, there are a couple of things that people uh, think about especially my friends in italy they uh the first thing they say <laughs> is how can you cope being in the dark for six months <clears throat> well living in and, italy uh, you you tend to have a lot of sun yeah depending on where you are of course in milan the sun is all often uh, often uh, covered by i mean you don't you don't see the sun because of the fog and because of the, all right. the clouds so but but you have much more light uh, usually but um but of course when you are above the arctic circle it's not that it's 6 months dark and 6 months light um it's uh it's only at the north pole that you theoretically have this sort of situation because uh, because that's the extreme but um but of course uh, i mean that's that's one of the things that people think about we talked about this in a, in an earlier episode about uh, the sun rays and how they how the the day length varies and episode uh, and how, 36 episode 36 yeah. and and how in in Tromso for example that is uh, where we are uh, at uh, at 69 degrees um north we we actually have only 
two months where we don't see the sun, but even if we don't see the sun, we have uh, a, um, a, uh, a kind of twilight um, that is giving the impression that it's day <laughs> in the middle of the day. <laughs> <laughs> what would you, it's at least something. At least something. So, <laughs> so there is some light. You don't have to endure the very, the very dark night uh, uh, for for six months. Um, and then you have the um, the other um, the other uh, parameter that is uh, always brought into into the conversation is the cold. Like, how can you cope with being in the cold all the time? Well, if you if you come from a Mediterranean country, that's a fair question. That is a fair question, of course. I mean, there is um, there is uh, definitely um, a, a colder climate uh, when you go far north or you go far south. But uh, but uh, with a little bit of attention, it's possible to to live uh, and to be doing all sorts of activities. Well, uh, maybe maybe not sunbathing in the winter. Yeah, from the, the view from the view wind. of someone who's who's very uh, used to the warm, that might uh, that prospect of being out in the cold and living in a cold area might sound like a like a horrible thing to do. But then um, I know a lot of people who prefer the cold to the warm. So I think it's it's us humans being really adaptable and sometimes mm. having our preferences. Yeah, of course, and uh, and then there are different degrees of cold, of course, um, because if you are talking about being just around zero, or the uh, the temperature range between minus uh, five and plus five, let's say that's that's a reasonable cold, and a lot of places in Europe will experience in North America will experience uh, uh, temperatures like this. And mm -hmm. these are places that are highly populated. <coughs> and, uh, and of course, um, the cold uh, above uh, zero is uh, a cold that is that can be very wet. Um, as we were talking about before, like we hear in Reykjavik when, when the temperatures are above zero, the uh, precipitation falls mostly as rain. And when it's rainy and the temperatures are close to zero, then uh, it feels really, really cold. <laughs> Probably much colder than when it's uh, minus five or minus 10 and it's uh, snowing and there is no wind. Oh, yeah. Because one of, one of the, one of the uh, things that uh, you see more and more on the, uh, on the weather forecast is the wind chill factor. So it's actually the perceived temperature on the skin and this is a this is a temperature that is not the temperature that we read on a normal thermometer but it's a temperature that is calculated on the basis of the strength of the wind and the humidity of the air and the actual temperature that you read on the thermometer and it is the perceived temperature and if the wind blows and it's very humid the perceived temperature is much lower than what we actually read on a thermometer but even that kind of a value is still quite subjective because you will um let let's say let's say um a, f a friend of mine in northern ireland he's he's out in a t-shirt no matter what what the weather is like um and he doesn't get cold so i think yeah it's it's a it's a highly subjective thing but at least it gives an indication what you should feel Yeah, I mean the uh, <laughs> the habituation to uh, to a cold climate 
is uh, is an important factor and uh, and uh, we are um, fortunately able to adapt our metabolism to cold conditions so to a reasonably the uh, high level we can uh, we can actually um, tune up our energy use and as we use more energy then we produce more heat in our body and uh, we can uh, do uh, we can uh, cope with with cold temperatures mm-hmm. of course we have other physiological reactions like uh, vasoconstriction so the capillaries the veins and the arteries uh, that come to our extremities get uh, get the narrower so there is uh, less loss of heat through the uh, through the surface of the body so we keep more heat towards the inside of the body is and that why is, is that is why your fingers the, get cold yes this is uh, well the fingers get cold of course because it's cold outside but uh, <laughs> but the sensation <laughs> there's not much even heat colder to them. is is that we get uh, we get less uh, less blood to the extremities and it's probably i mean a lot of people get white fingers um in the um, in cold conditions and uh, and it's a it's a uh, it's a sign that uh, there is less blood coming over to the surface of the body and and this happens uh, like a, at a relatively high temperature for for some like maybe plus five is enough to uh, plus five celsius is enough to to get uh, to get white fingers and uh, and blue fingernails um so in um i mean th- these are the uh, the things that the body does by itself and if you are exposed constantly to cold climate to a cold uh, climate um then you your body gets used to uh, burning more fuel and to produce more heat and you get used to 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 be in in uh, like in in a lower temperature environment i remember when i was working in uh, in in the summer in northeast greenland and staying for a month month and a half out uh, living in a tent um, even though it was the summer the temperature was around zero degrees and uh, and after a while i mean at the first few days you maybe for a week or so you you feel actually it's actually quite cold but uh, but then you get used to uh, to the situation and uh, and uh and then it doesn't it doesn't well at least for me it didn't matter very much that it was the temperature was low i mean i didn't even uh, think about it and and this is highly subjective of course it's not something that i can say everybody would feel but uh, but but there is a high degree of uh, habituation to to the cold uh, to reasonable temperatures but uh, when we go to uh, to cold conditions we also have to have the right equipment that's lucky luckily we have developed technology (laughs) yes and this is something that has been developed for for centuries or millennia and uh and clothes for example they are um, clothes are something that is very important and having the right clothes is is extremely important and uh i mean you don't need to to go terribly high tech um uh, one of the things that you learn, and it's uh, it's almost a, 
a, a predicament, a, a gospel in, in Norway, for example, is that you have to have uh, uh, woolen uh, underwear close to the skin. And that is, uh, that is actually, I mean, if you try it, and nowadays you can get uh, woolen underwear that doesn't itch, because this is the main problem with wool, that, uh, uh, that most of us have had experiences of having wool directly on the skin, and that is not pleasant. Yeah, well, but, uh, I'll, 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 we should we should uh, maybe sooner or later involve Monica in that discussion because when I talk to her about that and she's a specialist now, um, she's like, yeah, sure, but there are there are certain wools that don't do that and other wools do that and it it highly depends on the kind of wool that you use from the kind of sheep. There's like I don't know hundreds of different kinds of sheep with different kinds of wool. So I think they they figured it out by now that that uh, yeah the itchiness is not an issue anymore. No, exactly, and uh, and this is uh, it. Will be it will be really interesting to hear what Monica has to say about this. I uh, I am not an expert on uh, on this, but I I know that uh, that if you buy merino, for example, uh, uh, wool clothes, um, they are usually mm, less itchy than uh, than clothes that don't have a merino <laughs> name on it true this is a special sheep and i think it's something with the fiber length and um how yeah the it, has, it has to do with the length mm. of the fiber mm. and the mm. and the way the fiber spirals and the way the fiber mm. um the, the thickness of the fiber so yeah yeah um, this this is a it's it's its own universe pretty much exactly and uh and if you really want to go uh high level then uh, uh muskox Uh, which is a, a a very special animal. It has a wool that uh, is extremely warm and uh, very, very pleasant to the touch. And uh, and and it's also like there's also other characteristics like uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't filt, so you can uh, you can uh, wash it at relatively high temperatures and it doesn't it doesn't filt. And I think it, I think that somebody was telling me that uh, the uh, uh, astronauts' uh, suits um, that they were using when they were going up uh, to the, uh, to the, in the Apollo program, for example, they they had uh, the, the astronauts they were equipped with uh, with muskox uh, woolen uh, insulation. I'm not surprised because uh, I think one of the the properties of these um, these animal fibers are that they have they do a really good job at wicking away the the, the humidity the the sweat yeah. from your body and dissipating it at the same time they are quite antibacterial so you end up with yeah. uh, something that you can wear for longer without it starting to smell yes so so the uh, the the having clothes like woolen um, underwear uh, woolen longs and uh, and long sleeve shirts uh, uh, t-shirts uh, under the um, under the all the other clothes and clothes to the body is is something that that works I mean I, I tested it myself I I highly recommend it when you come out to these places oh, and it's also also for uh, yeah also for a, um, the the um, like even if you don't do a lot of activity the wicking away of the humidity from the air from this from the skin is happening all the time because we all, all the time produce uh, vapor yeah we've mm. we've been hiking with uh, with this kind of an underlayer uh, up up in in the himalayas and it's it's wonderful yeah. 
So do in the Himalayas do they use uh, yak wool? Yes, they do. And there's there's different mm. kinds of yak wool. There's the 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 outer wool of the yak that is very um, very rough, very that that would be very very scratchy and itchy. But they use this to make tents out of it. But then there is a thin yak wool from younger yaks and from special parts of the body that is so soft. It's some it's among the softest wool you can get and. Uh, you you will see people here um, often using blends of yak wool and certain sheep's wools and even other fibers like bamboo, for example, that can be made into wool. So it's it's a really interesting, uh, mm. yeah, a really interesting universe. But yak, yak wool is definitely uh, is definitely within that within that uh, range of wools that work really well against the cold. Yeah, and uh, that's interesting. It's interesting to know. It's a it's a place of the world that I'd like to visit at one point, and uh, it's uh, the Himalayas, and uh, and that's uh, that's something that uh, is on my bucket list anyway. Um, but uh, so the the under clothes uh, have to be uh, able to wick the moisture away from the body at any condition and of course the more activity you have the more humidity you produce the more uh, vapor you produce and then and then you have different kinds of underwear um, that are more or less performing um, but then you usually are advised to have a three layer uh, system so you have the under layer close to the body possibly wool then you have a middle layer uh, and then an outer layer and as you were saying with uh, uh, with for example with uh, with the um, coarser fibers uh, of uh, animals like uh, like sheep or um, or um, muskox or yak or whatever you could uh, you can produce outer clothing that is uh, resistant to uh, or it's resistant to to being to becoming wet and uh, I suppose that up to mm, probably the middle of the last century, you would have uh, uh, for uh, equipment for uh, for cold weather, you would have uh, an outer jacket of uh, of uh, felt, for example, um, like woolen as well. And nowadays, you would mostly have a, an outer shell that is uh, of synthetic material that is either um, uh, very uh, water resistant or it's uh, more able to able to also wick away the the moisture away and then you have all these uh, membranes that uh, like Gore-Tex or others that uh, that uh, let the water vapor pass through the outer layer and in between you have to have something that is giving insulation and some of the very best insulation is uh, is down from the fed from from birds so uh, you have all different kinds of grades of down and uh, either down for example is uh, is extremely uh, expensive on the one side and it's expensive because it's extremely um, it has a very it's an extreme insulation power power and a very lightweight and it's very soft and uh, that, for example, that would be a, that would be a very good insulation. The problem with down is that it gets wet, and it gets when when down gets wet, it's hard to it dry. Gets, it's gets uh, it, it loses its insulating powder power because it's uh, it gets squished and uh, and flat, 
and uh, and of course it is the the unmoving air that is captured in between the fibers or in between the uh, in between the feathers that is keeping warm i think that's the, uh, that's that that's in general the, the same thing for all these things is uh they they typically insulate by trapping air mm. and the better they can keep that air cushion um mm. the better they insulate that's also how wool works because wool has a very um it's very wool is crinkly <laughs> wool it, it takes up a lot of space for a very little fiber yeah exactly and uh, and that is because if you want to insulate i mean if you want to put yourself into a material that is that has a high thermic coefficient so that it doesn't uh, it doesn't um um let the heat pass through the material without thinking about air like if it is a solid material then you would have to put yourself into something that is not very pleasant to walk into because it will be inflexible most of the insulating material is inflexible you could use a for example neoprene uh, neoprene is uh, a kind of rubber with lots of air bubbles so it has air inside yeah but there's a lot also a lot of um um a lot of uh, uh, rubber around and that has the disadvantage of being uh, very uh, impermeable to 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 uh, to water so, well so you have it is an advantage air. if you're a diver but <laughs> yes it is an advantage if you're a diver but not and, and then again it is the air in the neoprene that is actually insulating and this is because the air makes the neoprene flexible but if you if you have uh, like a stone for example for a short period of time would uh, if you have a hot stone it would keep hot for a while but you, i i doubt that people would have a stone uh, stone clothing around <laughs> yeah um yeah <clears throat> and um, so so you have the choice between uh, well wool so a sweater uh, on top of your under clothes and between the underclothes and the outer shell or you could uh, have uh, uh well wool feathers uh, synthetic materials the problem that i have with synthetic materials is that recently uh, recently i par i i'm talking about the past uh, well probably 10 20 years it has been more and more uh, obvious that uh, the plastic from the fibers for example for uh, um polar tech uh, and other uh, plastic fibers synthetic fibers uh, end up into the environment every time we wash a um, a synthetic um, some synthetic uh, fabric uh, there are some bits of the fiber of the these plastic fibers that uh, actually break off and end up in the water that is uh, that is going out to the uh, to uh, to the sewage and then uh, it ends up in the environment and nowadays we we know that uh, everywhere there is plastic and animals and plants they uh, they get plastic in them and then we get it in ourselves as well because we have to i mean when we are eating fish for example or uh, we are it's possible for us to take in the plastic that the fish has been uh, ingesting by swimming in the water there's a lot of microplastics around so the problem of microplastics is uh, is uh, is quite uh, is quite dire and this is why i i'm getting more and more towards natural fibers and i try to use natural fibers as much as possible but this is for like to reduce the pollution 
But that's of course, a serious uh, problem. Yeah. yeah, and also also course. from cosmetics, by the way, that's another area yeah, that brings another, a lot of uh, uh, abrasive agents in in some skin yeah. products. For any example. any sort of any sort of plastic would end up uh, uh, breaking away and uh, and uh, and then end up in the environment. So it is um, it is not um, is probably not if you want to be environmentally friendly, uh, then you should try to use. Uh, uh, natural fibers, natural natural products, and you could use you could use uh, skins. Of course, you can use uh, a, uh, a a fur coat. A fur coat is a natural product, but then, <laughs> but again, then, you, but have then a, you have a political have problem. <laughs> yeah, but it's also it's also a, a moral problem. I mean, of course, and uh, and I, a mink coat is very warm, of course, and uh, but uh, but uh, then we'll have to talk about. Uh, about uh, animal welfare and whether it's right to to kill animals to rip the, their to rip their uh, their skin off and uh, and have and make clothing for us. That's why wool is such a good option yeah. because you don't have to yes. kill the sheep to get the wool. Mm. Yeah. So, like, uh, so the the principle is having insulation, wicking away the moisture from the body, and uh, being able to protect yourself from the. Uh, from the weather phenomena like rain or wind and uh, and of course like by having different layers you can uh, you can tune the uh, your clothing according to what weather you have uh, outside so if you don't need an outer shell because it's not rainy and it's not windy you don't need to have it on and then you can uh, have a more pleasant uh, lighter equipment on yourself so these are these are a few a few of the consideration about the general clothing uh, the extremities are important. Uh, it's important to protect the extremities because they, this this is where we have uh, uh, some a lot of heat um, uh, loss, uh, and uh, so the head, the hands, and the feet. So it's important to keep them uh, to keep them quite warm, and uh, especially the head and the feet. We we lose a lot of heat uh, through the head, so uh, anything that is. Uh, Keeping our head warm and dry is uh, is is very important, and the feet as well. It's uh, having uh, like also like uh, thick socks, and uh, cotton is not a very good material for keeping warm. Um, so again, woolen uh, socks it's uh, it's what I'd uh, I'd recommend, and also thick socks if you want to, and um, and then good uh, good shoes, and the good shoes it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting because you'll have to have uh, of course if you are out in in nature you'll have different kinds of shoes than if you are in town, but uh, one thing that you'll have both places is ice if the temperature go below zero, and uh, and a lot of the uh, it's, it's strange I've been testing different kinds of soles. And not because I've been testing them because people have asked me to test them, but because <laughs> you really need to test them. You need shoes to walk outside, and um, and um, and there is a different, a high difference in how grippy the sole is uh, with different winter shoes, for example. Even if you take these uh, very well-known uh, Italian brand of soles called Vibram, V-I-B-R-A-M. Vibram, it's uh, they make really high-performing technical soles that uh, you find in every 
uh, every sports uh, shop will have some shoes that have a Vibram sole, and it's a trade mark, and it's a, it's an argument for selling. Um, but not all the Vibram soles are good for uh, all, all situations. And if you have ice, you want to have soles that are as little slippery as possible. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And um, of course, you can use, and a lot of people uh, in uh, in cold places use crampons. And uh, you have uh, your crampons that you can put on the shoe. Uh, these are uh, like for walking, also in town and walking in nature without uh, going through the big spikes that you put under your your shoes to to climb glaciers and uh, climb mountains. Uh, and they can be. Uh, there are some that are like um like a spiral uh, of metal um that is uh, like a mesh of uh, metal in spirals and uh, and these are uh, good for for slippery snow but uh, they are probably not so good for the ice very very well, hard ice well i try i tried them um the, there's one brand called yak tracks that yes. i usually carry with me when i go to icy areas and i've been in um in siberia on Lake Baikal, which is yeah. huge, big frozen mass uh, when, mm. when it's winter, and um, walking on that using these yak tracks was was okay, was doable. I mean, there will probably there will be better solutions, but in a pinch, they will at least provide you some stability when you walk yeah, on this. Yeah, it's it's better than nothing. When you are uh, like uh, you find uh, also some uh, rubber um, frames that have uh, really spikes. Uh, short spikes maybe just a couple of millimeters the studs that uh, they come out uh, uh, from the under sole and uh, and these are uh, probably a little bit better than the uh, than the yak tracks for the icy icy conditions and but they don't grip well on the on the compact snow um, so depending on uh, on on how the uh, the base that you're walking on is you'll have to use different different kinds of, of crampons and for soft uh, soft snow then we we had a whole episode about uh, about snowshoes but uh, you wouldn't use them in the in town anyway and uh, snowshoes are quite a particular way of getting away in the snow but uh, but uh, a reasonably soft uh, sole um, is uh, with uh, with good reels um, um, is is what you what I I would recommend for for walking in Un- snow unless you live in Reykjavik, which has heated sidewalks. Yes, <laughs> and then, <laughs> this then is there not, is this no is not a joke. This is not a joke. There's the, so much. There is no problem. There, there's yeah. so much of um, hot water and underground yeah. thermal yeah. heat that will yeah. that will pretty yeah. much they, the, they, they put lines in the streets. Yes, because it's the um, it's when the uh, when the water comes out of the buildings, uh, once once the hot water that is uh, of hot because of geothermal heat uh, is flowing out of the building, so it's already giving away the heat that it should give to keep the building warm from the inside. Right. And it is still quite quite warm, and then it can be uh, led through pipes under the sidewalks and the streets, and uh, and the places that have this is are are actually ice free the the, um, the problem is when you go from a patch that is uh, ice free on a sidewalk and then you go to another one that does not have them installed for some reason then you have to be careful that you 
you go on uh, on suddenly on icy conditions. You know, mm. you know the other thing that that surprised me in Reykjavik, which shouldn't have surprised me, is uh, here in Germany when you when when it's winter, they sometimes grit the streets. They have these little little bits of rock on the street to to yeah. uh, stop you from slipping. Uh, in Reykjavik, that's lava. It's all black, which was very, <laughs> very surprising. So first well, I thought, why is it so dirty here? But then I realized, no, they're putting lava, uh, <laughs> bits putting, of lava yeah. on the street. Yeah, that's it. Because there is so much of it. There's, um, there's so, quite a lot in Iceland. True. We have, yeah. we have, uh, we are about half an hour into this episode. Yeah. We still have a plen plenty of other things to talk about when it comes to living in the cold on our list. I suggest we split this into a separate episode. So uh, people can um, can have something to look forward to, and we have yes, of uh, course, we, we have to talk we, about uh, materials, we have to talk and we have so to talk about uh, lots of things about living in the cold and uh, and about uh, about uh, even colder temperatures, maybe. Right. Other uh, otherwise, this will turn into a two-hour episode. No, which, we don't want that. Which we don't want. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that was it for this episode of Curiously Polar: Living in the Cold, Part One part two and maybe even part three coming soon uh, to a podcast client near you you can find all the other episodes in your podcast client wherever you get your other podcasts and of course over at curiouslypolar.com my name is chris mario thanks for being here and talk to you all next time until then take care and stay cool thank you chris stay cool everybody mm -hmm.